Hello and welcome to another episode of the Scholar Spotlight Sessions. In these episodes we talk to past and present Florence Nightingale Foundation scholars and chat about why they wanted to be scholars and their leadership journeys so far. You can check out the link in the show notes to find out more about the scholarships on offer. And today I have with me the lovely, lovely even, Vicky Havercroft. Vicky started her nursing career as a healthcare support worker in a nursing home and completed her NVQ before commencing her nurse training at Southampton Hospital in March 1997. Uh, and she was one of the last Project 2000 intake. I was Project 2000 as well. We'll have a chat about that in a second, Vicky. After qualifying in 2000, her career was primarily focused in acute medicine, including some time spent in uh, high dependency unit. She then moved into cancer care in 2009 and in 2011 set up the first Macmillan Acute Oncology Service, which she then went on to present uh, the model nationally and internationally and has peer-reviewed peer uh, the trusts. Uh, she has also completed her MSc in advanced clinical practice and was nominated for um, the Macmillan Leadership Award and the Nursing Standard Leadership Award. Uh, and she also won a Hospital Hero Award for her leadership. Lots of award, lots of awards there. Well done. Uh, she's also completed her a QI fellowship uh, with Health Education Wessex. And if all that wasn't enough, in September of this year, she started a new role as a lead cancer nurse at Hampshire Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. And to top it all off, icing on the cake, and why she's here today is she's currently a Florence Nightingale Foundation Leadership Scholar. Hello, Vicky. It's lovely to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Hello to you too, Becky. So that's a, that's a, a fair bio there. That's a good that's a good introduction. Uh, lots of um, awards there. Um, you must have uh, a shelf full of you. <laughs> yeah, all all at work. Although I'm hot desking more than more often than not. So uh, uh, not actually up at the moment. Oh, is that is that is that because of um, something called a pandemic, or is it just that you normally hot desk anyway? It is. Um, I think it is because of the pandemic. Obviously, yeah. new at the trust. That's why I'm uh, assuming. But ah, yeah, right. everybody's scattered all over the place to make room for uh, telephone clinics, etc. At the moment, so. Oh yeah, of course. With a huge yeah, with a huge drive for the for mm. the vaccinations to get those out there, isn't there? Project Two Thousand. I was a Project Two Thousand nurse as well. How how did that? go for you in terms of you know when you did your clinical placements um, yeah. did you get any kind of um, negative uh, kind of experiences in relation to being Project 2000? Um, not really and I think it's because with the leadership module at the end you're in the numbers so you're still you're very much part of that team yeah um, and we were very much hands-on and the fact that I'd been a healthcare assistant beforehand I think had scored me lots of points whenever I went on ward so I did make a point of telling them that I'd been a healthcare assistant and yeah. gone through the MVQ route and I think that kind of gave me lots of credentials I think going on yeah um, following on from ours when they first started the advanced diploma and the degree, I think because they were supernumerary for their whole placement, I think they ah. probably got a lot more grief than we did as Project Two Thousand. Yes, yeah, being in the numbers. Yeah, no, I remember. I recall being in the, the numbers, but I think I was actually early. I I th I'm sure I was early on in Project Two Thousand, um, and so I think it was still fairly new at that time. So maybe that's why I did experience some, not. 
I mean, it wasn't negative, but there'd be the odd dig, you know, the odd kind of like, oh, you're one of those Project 2000 nurses. But it's interesting what you say, because I also did um, healthcare support worker before going into my nurse training. But um, and where I trained, my mum was a nurse and very well known. So I think I had a little bit of that kind of um I, I I was on the back of my mum's reputation for a little while. Um, not that that lasted long. If you speak to my mum now, she remembers the time it, it flipped from, oh, you're Anne's daughter to, oh, you're Becky's mum, you know? It kind of flipped <laughs> like that, so that was interesting. <laughs> so, oh, that's uh, that's really good. Um, so I guess uh, we, we'll get started. And, and the reason, one of the main reasons why we're doing these shows is is to find out why our, why the, why our scholars wanted to become scholars in the first place. So I wonder if you want to share with your listeners why you wanted to become a Florence Nightingale scholar. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to become a Florence Nightingale scholar was to try and widen my options. So I'd been at Southampton ever since I started my training in 97, um, hadn't veered apart from doing a four-month secondment into the community. Um, but again, it was within Southampton. So already knew lots of people and lots of the lots of the teams so it was to I suppose get a better idea of what's out there what other options are out there um and getting some meeting other people that are outside of Southampton because Wessex is very small everybody I met was in Wessex and I probably know lots and lots of people within the Wessex region yeah yeah um so part of that and it was doing that although we'd only been a couple of months in that actually gave me the courage to step outside my comfort zone and apply for the job at Hampshire hospitals that I'm currently doing now which is something completely different yeah. to what I've done before so it's just extending my leadership skill I love leading people yeah and different services my last job working in patient experience was very different most of the staff I was managing were admin staff yeah. um, with only a couple of nurses so I did miss being that nurse yeah like on the ground getting involved in nursing issues yeah yeah so so it's all gone in a very good direction for you and I just there's a couple of things in there I'd like to pick up with you if you don't mind one yep. I've just had a bit of a um a brain fart and I was actually at Southampton for a year I qualified in 97 so I'd have been in Southampton University Hospital in 1998 um for a year so that is really weird to think that actually you were working in that organization at some point and I came on a on a like a rotation thing and I started in the Wessex Neuro Centre oh yeah um and then I can't remember the I can't remember the name of the ward sister now but I started in the Wessex Neuro Centre um and I was supposed to have moved on I should have come into palliative care gone into medicine palliative care and A&E but I ended up staying in Wessex Neuro Centre for the entire year which was fascinating i mean we saw some of the first cases of uh, uh creutzfeldt jakobs disease by cow's disease and because it's such a broad patch isn't it where you yeah. co- it covers um we saw some really young people as well unfortunately diagnosed with things like ms and whatever but i really enjoyed um my my year in southampton i just didn't settle very well from a social side of things and, and it was difficult to to get friends and things i sound really sad now but so i ended up yeah. moving back but that's just for me i was just like oh my goodness so how weird is that that you know, I mean, sometimes you just realise things like that make you realise how small a world it is sometimes. Yeah, and yeah th- it is. The other thing I like what you said about is, again, I resonate with you. So I um, 
I trained in Wales, I live in Wales, I've worked in Wales most of my career apart from that year in Southampton and I completely, it completely resonates with me what you say about meeting people outside of your kind of comfort zone or within that what's, what's um, you know, what's comfortable for you or what you know, isn't it, or the people that you mm-hmm. know and I think it's really nice because they bring people bring with them a different perception, don't they? And NHS Wales is very different to NHS England. So that's uh, that's been interesting learning for me. So that's uh, that's that's really that's really great. Thank you, Vicky. Um, so I guess moving on, it would be great. So we we know that you're now a scholar, and we know how impactful you found that. But I guess it would be nice to listen to a little bit more about your leadership journey so far. So your bio, um, you know, introduces quite a bit of variety there in in terms of what yep. you've done uh, over the years. That you know over the I'm doing my maths now. Twenty-one years you've been. No, you qualified yeah. in. Anyway, twenty plus years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So um, I wonder if you wanted to share a couple of key moments in your leadership journey with us so far. Okay, I think if I'm completely honest, my leadership journey probably started when I was at school because oh, okay. I was always the person that when we did the end of school shows I was always the person that did the collections and gave the flowers to the teacher and things like that so I think I probably started from very a very young age and I don't know whether that was because of losing my mum at a young age that I then took on the mum role to my younger sister although she's only 12 months younger so it wasn't really but I kind of stepped into those shoes I think from very from a very young age which just kind of carried on um even through the nursing homework once I started my MVQ so I was then being paid band three well it wasn't whatever the equivalent was back back in the uh, early 90s grade I think wasn't it used to be grades didn't they so yeah back in so I think even from the nursing home being a HCA and then deciding which HCAs were going to work work where and who was going to look after which which of our clients on those days and so it probably started very young um I then I suppose when I qualified I started on the ward that my last leadership placement was on yeah um which I think was really helpful as well as a new newly qualified nurse yeah going in because suddenly changing from the uh, student nurse checkered uniform to the plain blue staff nurse uniform was massive suddenly consultants started talking to you asking you questions about your patients and yeah uh, Yeah. things like that and I got my um e-grade quite quickly I got my e-grade within a year of starting as a d-grade as it was then yeah um and then because I'd done lots of work on the new news rollout and things like that I then got an acuity sister as a f-grade within acute medicine which started off where I was but then expanded and that's how I ended up helping set up the high care and the hdu within medicine as well so I think I've kind of always had that leader element I've always liked to look after the students I've always liked to help them grow and I think one of the best jobs of being a nurse is that you can see people grow from all sorts you've got housekeepers that then become healthcare assistants that then do their MVQ that then go on to do their nurse training Mm. Um, I've got admin staff that are now trained nurses that I worked with when they were the admin staff and watching 
watching people grow is a privilege we have in the NHS because you can see it right through and it's not just it's not just nurses it is all of our different staff groups yeah no I would agree I mean that's really lovely and you're absolutely right because there are leadership can happen anywhere can't it you know it doesn't have to be necessarily um in in a role of status or whatever else and as you quite rightly say and particularly in in the current climate um in the pandemic we've seen some you know we've seen leadership come from the most unexpected of places i think um so that's really interesting one of the things you talked about which is always an interesting one for me and i know it's some a, a topic of discussion at the moment particularly around preceptorship um, and those early nursing careers, supporting early nursing careers, is that transition from student um, to registered nurse. So, so you talk. So it's interesting that you, so you refer to the fact that you did your transition from a student into on the ward where you did done your final placement anyway. So do you do you think that made it easier for you? Do you think you would have had a more a tougher time transitioning from student to registered nurse if you'd had to go somewhere else to work? Yeah, I think it definitely made it easier because it's three months of getting to know people. Mm. It was a leadership placement, so you were in the numbers anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think it definitely made it easier. And speaking to other nurses that qualified at the same time as me, they really struggled initially. Yeah. And we didn't have preceptorship programmes back in the 2000. They didn't, no, they didn't no. really exist. No, that's right. Um, yeah. So we didn't have any of that. And quite a few of the nurses that I trained with never actually went on to become nurse qualified nurses oh really um which was really interesting or they didn't last very long and I do wonder if some of that is because we didn't have preceptorships back in those days yeah um yeah no I I think that that's a really interesting that's that's a really interesting insight actually Vicky because you it's a shame isn't it really that somebody should Mm. go through sort of three years of training and then not really I mean, it's fine. It's okay if you, you know, you might have had an epiphany at the end of those three years and think, oh, this really isn't for me. Because there's something about being a student, isn't it? You're kind of yeah. protected, aren't you? And then all of a sudden you are kind of like thrown out there um, and expected to, as you as you quite well articulated, you know, the consultants are asking you questions, all these people are asking you questions because all they see is the uniform. Ergo, you are a nurse who should know what you're talking about in some respects isn't it yeah and nursing is often a little bit i guess any learning is though really isn't it it's not until you try what it's not until you really really start to practice so even with your driving you know um and how you're influenced and your role models and and all those sorts of things um which takes me on nicely actually to one of the other things you said is that you derive joy from watching others um grow um and you know you know, achieve their ambitions or whatever. So I wonder if you just wanted to, have you got a particular example there of somebody that you've um, that you've led and kind of mentored through something like that? So I've probably got quite a few, but I think one of the ones that always sticks in my mind who I'm still in contact with is when I was a first a band seven yeah. um, on the gastro ward we were really short-staffed when I first took over that ward Um, and because of the experience that our students had we then were over recruited within six months um, with lots of newly qualified nurses so it was lots of work getting them trained up but actually one of those nurses that was a student and then came as a newly qualified um, has now overtaken me in the oh wow in the ranks but but has a 
actually followed me to lots when I set up acute oncology she'd never done oncology but I brought her along as a HDU nurse yeah um because she had the right skills for an acute oncology service everybody else had cancer experience so she could learn yeah. the cancer bit yeah while teaching everybody else the acute care yeah. skills bit yeah. as well and I think yeah what watching her grow and develop and and do other things and now overtake me in the ranks which is fine that's yeah. that's what you want to see yeah. and actually you feel like you've achieved if somebody you taught as a student nurse is Absolutely. now higher than you you've achieved because you've taught them well at that beginning phase of their career yeah, yeah. when they're still learning yeah no that's interesting it's quite poetic in some ways as well isn't it because you started off talking about you know your your Florence, you know, why you wanted to be a, a, a Florence scholar and what, what you've um, kind of gained from that personally so far. And one of those things was kind of the unlocking of those doors, introductions to new yeah. people, et cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what you've just articulated about ha- what you were able to do mm. for that particular individual. And I think it is, um, it is hugely privileged, you know, it is a huge privilege to be able to do yeah, that for people, isn't it? And, but I think, you know, sometimes... Um, sometimes our biases can get in the way of growing those bright spots. And I know Steve Jobs, who's an idol of mine, was really keen that we should actually be employing people who are smarter, brighter um, than us, because we can learn from them. So the other thing I'd like to bring you back to is you talked about setting up this new acute oncology service. So just talk us a little bit through, um, you know, you're you're leading a team through setting up a, a new service. How did that go? So that was um, really interesting, probably one of the highlights of my whole career. Um, one, because it was one of the first Macmillan Acute Oncology Services. So we got to model it from scratch yeah. to what we thought it looked like and did lots of PDA, PDSA cycles, tweaking PDSA. it, this didn't work, <laughs> so let's let's do it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest difficulties is they kept moving our room because they needed more inpatient beds, etc. but we got over and that that's how we did those cycles and how we learned to work a little bit differently um but as i said previously some of the staff that i brought with me were not just oncology staff but i brought that student nurse that i kind of nurtured that then became qualified and she came to me as a band six with her hdu experience um allowing her to teach the others the kind of acute skills whereas the others had the oncology skills but i think one of the key things of learning for that was the amount of talks that we did nationally and on international conferences as well but it wasn't just me that did them so I sent my staff I sent my band sixes and my band fives to New York to Prague to make sure that they because they were very much part of it as well so to make sure that they got to say their views and they got to talk about the service themselves as well because they were just as proud as I was of setting setting up this service so I think for me the key thing was it wasn't me going and doing every single talk I did a lot but it wasn't me going and doing all of them and that's then gave them the confidence to move on and do other things as well gosh yeah absolutely go I mean, to lots what? more conferences and lots more do lots more presentations yeah. and things like that that's amazing because i think you know i've talked to lots of people about kind of presentations and you know as nurses i think we're quite self-deprecating aren't we we're not very good at celebrating what we do well and 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 it isn't necessarily something we get taught either, is it? So to have no. a mentor or leader that kind of nurtures that skill, because I think presentation skills 
and being able to talk to others and be able to tell your story to others, to engage them in your vision is a huge, huge, huge leadership leadership skill that actually we don't often focus on or concentrate on or get taught or have an opportunity to practice. So that's just brilliant. I'm sure they must be hugely um, grateful to you for giving them those opportunities. Um, Because I guess, you know, you could have quite easily have I've stepped in and, and, and done those, you know, yeah. I was thinking to myself now, hmm, New, New York, would I, yeah. would I, I'm going to sound really selfish, I don't know, but I'm sure it goes through everybody's head. I would have loved to have gone to New York, but I yeah, mean, yeah. how, and I would have, I've never been to New York, but, but how humble of you to, sure yeah, that's, that's just brilliant. Mm. That is really good. Cause there are a lot of people that probably would have done just taken that opportunity for themselves, which, you, yeah. which again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, you know, I could completely understand mm. that. So, I mean, those are just brilliant opportunities to have afforded mm. your team. I'm just trying to think now. Maybe I should have stayed in Southampton and ended up working with you and you could have sent me to New York. <laughs> that <would have> been nice. <laughs> that's lovely. And, I mean, that's a great segue, actually, Vicky, for us into... So you've talked very fondly about how you've influenced and how you derive that joy from growing others. And now I want a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about maybe the people who have helped grow Vicky. So, have you got um, a couple of key influences in your leadership and your leadership style? Yeah, I think I probably have, and one of them probably starts right back from when I was in the nursing home yeah. to one of the registered nurses that was in there. Because I went to the nursing home because I needed a job, not because I wanted to work in a nursing home and be a be a HCA. Yeah, um, but very quickly learned to love the job I I think within a month I absolutely loved it but then yeah. it was her that encouraged me to do my MVQ and apply for my nurse training and things and I think if she hadn't have done that if she hadn't taken me under her wing and nurtured me yeah I wouldn't have done any of that and I wouldn't be where I am today um see that's so, so powerful isn't it because then we would have missed out yeah. you, know, we, you know we wouldn't be yeah. having this opportunity to have this conversation but you no. wouldn't have set up that on college you know and all Anyway, it's just it's just amazing, isn't it? That just yeah. that kindness, that nurturing, that taking yeah. that opportunity to invest in others makes oh. we don't always maybe get to know. I wonder if she knows how much of an impact she's had yeah, on you I, in your career. I don't know if she does because when I tried to find her a few years ago, she'd retired. So because uh, I, I really wanted her to know where I'd got to, and I hadn't done that. So I do I do regret that that I never got the opportunity to. But Tell then, her. yeah, and, and I guess a, a lot of us don't necessarily, do we? Because life moves on, mm-hmm. you just kind of move on. And it's not until you get into a position of reflecting, you know, or being, you know, often being asked to reflect, not necessarily something you would, because um, we often reflect on when things go bad and not necessarily yeah. reflect on what's gone well in our careers mm-hmm. and, and how we've got to where we've got to, which is one of the things I think I like about this podcast is that it we're encouraging people to reflect on you know why did you want to be a scholar you know where how have you got to where you've got to in your leadership journey so far so I think um and I don't see why we couldn't use this for um revalidation um and I'm sure we can we'll have to speak to the lovely Andrea Sutcliffe from uh, the NMC and 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 ask her if this is a, a reasonable example of uh, CPD I'm sure it would be yeah. it's good reflective practice isn't it I think so I think so and I'm sure I'm sure it would be and uh, maybe we should uh, maybe I'll engage with her in t- on Twitter and ask her if what what her, what she thinks about it yeah. just get her to listen to the scholarship episodes as well which would be really good um so if, is there anybody else in particular that you you'd like I, to share I think one of the others is was our um, 
deputy director of nursing and I think it's just because when I went to see her for some mentoring she actually changed it to say no you need coaching and Uh. that was my first insight to coaching and actually getting me to think differently Mm. and answer my own questions Mm. and Mm. just yeah just learning that different way of thinking and Mm. And now I use it lots in my one-to-ones, etc., yeah. with staff. Yeah, coaching can be very powerful, can't it? Yeah, it can. but sometimes and I think we've yeah, go we've on, learned sorry. that, haven't we, from this? Yes, from the Florence Nightingale. Yeah, definitely. But I think, and then equally, it's almost that coaching critical friend relationship, isn't it? A mentor kind of um, role models and shows you the way, and and is a bit more of a critical friend and kind of says to you, "You can't really do it in that way, whatever." Whereas coaching is about self-realization and think that. Yeah. I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted, but so there's the distinct. There are distinct differences between the two, aren't they? But there's a synergy between the two as well, isn't there? And yeah. um, and you don't and they don't necessarily need to be in the same person. I don't know that being in the same person is a good thing anyway so I don't think your coach and your mentor should be one of the same no people no they shouldn't no I no I would agree with that um I mean so it's lovely isn't it so really two really key um so the first getting you started and getting you mm. getting you on that track to, to get to where you are today and then that whole um kind of uh, eureka moment of finding something like coaching is quite yeah. impactful isn't it and it really mm. does help doesn't it so that's lovely, Vicky. So one of the the next questions I want to ask really is something we ask all our guests as we as we as we bring the episode to a close, and that is um, really whether you have a a philosophy, a mantra, a quote, or or something that you bring with you on a daily basis in terms of um, anchoring you as a leader. So for me, I think there's kind of two things. One is everything happens for a reason and I'm a firm believer of that so even when bad things happen you make the best of it and it's you learn from it and then you change change what you do so I think everything happens for a reason but I think the main thing that keeps me anchored is being visible if I'm having a really bad day then I go for a walk and I find some of the CNS teams and I just say hello, ask them how they are, yeah, that kind of thing. Because yeah. actually, it pro- it helps me just as much as it helps them to yeah. see that we're visible. And I think it, it's the being visible as a leader to me is the most important thing. Even if you've got nothing to say, even if you're just saying oh, hello, absolutely. how are you? Mm-hmm. It is that visibility is really key yeah. um, for me and for the teams that I work with absolutely no I agree with you so I, so being an extrovert I get my um energy from others so you know I can resonate with that but I agree with you it's um it, it's it is hugely important to be visible as a leader so that people don't you know don't feel that your offer of you know an open door or whatever is rhetorical you actually mean it because you are visible you're approachable people just can come and talk to you you're a human you know you're vicky you may be our leader but you're vicky and we know that we can come and talk to you so those are two great those are two great things actually vicky so thank you for sharing that and just lastly before we before we um we say goodbye um just for fun we ask all our guests uh we like to know um, what three dinner guests, dead or alive, would you like to invite? To, well, to dinner, obviously, because they're dinner guests. <laughs> but what three guests would you like to invite to dinner? They could be dead or alive, real or fictional, whatever. So I think for me, the first one um, is very personal and it would be my mum oh, who passed yes. away when I was 13 just so that she could see what we've achieved meet her grandchild meet yeah. meet my sister's grandchildren so I think for me that would be 
really key. Mm. Um, the second one would be the Queen. And I think for me, it's because you always think that she's sat in the background. Mm. Um, whatever's going on in the political world, people then still listen to her speeches. Yeah. Her yeah. Christmas Day speech, I know lots of people that are not royalist, but they will always, always listen to her Christmas Day speech. Yeah. And the amount of experience she's got with different leaders of this country over the years is phenomenal. She must have loads of stories about all of the leaders of our country. Ooh, yes, I'm um, sure she does. Plus other, <laughs> plus other countries. So to yeah. me, that would be, uh, yeah. be absolutely fascinating. Um, and then a third one would be somebody like Gary Barlow that could sing for me while I'm having my dinner. That's a great choice. We've not had anybody like that. That's really good. I mean, yeah, listen, he's got a new Christmas good. album out. Yeah, um, see. Yeah. No. He I, could come and entertain while we eat dinner. Would be marvellous. What a great choice. Do you think your mum would like Gary Barlow? I think she probably would, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's beautiful. To choose your mum, I think that's beautiful beautiful. And you know, I'm really sorry to hear that you, you lost her at, at such um a young age and and you know, sometimes I really do wish that we had that kind of power to bring people back that we've lost. Yeah. It would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, and so it'd be interesting also to know whether she likes Gary Barlow's music. Yeah. Uh, and the Queen, what a great choice. We've only we've had one other um, choose the Queen, but for different reasons. And I like your... I, 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 you're absolutely right. Regardless of our political views, she has the... She seems to be able to unite us, doesn't she? Yeah. As a, as yeah. a nation, which is, which is quite a powerful thing to be able to do. And gosh she's been doing that job the queen she's been doing that job for an awful long time and you're absolutely right the leaders that she must have encountered i'd love to i oh god she i bet yeah. she's got some i wonder what she thinks of boris i know i bet she's got some stories i bet she has i bet she has indeed well vicky it's been an absolute joy having this conversation with you today um, i'm really grateful for you taking the time to come and share your journey with us um i hope you've enjoyed it too so that brings this episode uh to to an end so all that's left now really for us to say is goodbye so it's goodbye from vicky goodbye thank you very much for having me and it's goodbye from us until next time Thanks for listening to The Leadership Blog, where we're navigating everyday leadership. This is a non-affiliated podcast, and any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests belong solely to them, and not necessarily to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual.